0: In some senses, is a million dollars what it was a decade ago? Are we still looking at that number as that kind of overall goal? Yeah, I think
1: there's a lot of debate around that. And obviously, we have inflation and, and change of times and change in values, house values, company values. Is a is million dollars still a phenomenal mark? Yes, I believe so. Is it definitely different than it used to be? Yes. One million dollars back, you know, let's say, in the 90s when I was growing up as a kid is definitely a whole lot different than now. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson.
2: Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 154. Clark, what's going on? How you doing? Doing
3: well. Pretty much the same for me. Anything anything new in your
2: life? Yeah, no, not a, not not a whole lot, but man, the weather right now here in Texas is just absolutely beautiful. We're like mid 80s every day <laughs> and sunny. Mid 60s overnight. It's just it's what you live in Texas for is the weather right now coming in October.
3: Yeah, and then in August you want to get out Yeah. You take a
2: little vacation. Cool off. It's all good. (laughs) You know, through August, September, really even through August or through uh, May is just beautiful. You know, the winter is beautiful. We're in the 60s, 70s. It's sunny. Get into the 80s, the 90s. And then, yeah, you just take a vacation in June, July or August or maybe some people do it all
3: three months. Yeah, that'd be nice, right? Coming up on Q4 here, been quite a year, right? Yeah, no kidding. It's, it's, October it's amazing. Fir- I guess it'll be in October by the time this, this launches, Yeah, yep. first week of October.
2: Yeah. What What are you doing for closing out the quarter, closing out the year to, to get yourself set up for 2021 with 2020 being such a crazy year?
3: Yeah, I don't know if there's anything super unique. You know, I think I, I need to tie out some charitable contribution tithing stuff to, to our church is something I need to do. Um, It's been fun to look at, just track net worth and investments, right? I mean, initially it was just so far down in March or April. And and it's been the same with a lot of the millionaires we've interviewed, right? We just interviewed a a guy this week that said, or the one that we launched, excuse me, this one that we launched this week, he said he was down 200,000 in COVID. But now you look at it and everybody's probably way back up and more, yeah. Right? With with the markets close to an all time high, if if not at an all time high. So it's been it's been fun to track it. That's been I mean, I say that's been the fun part of 2020. But along with that, obviously, has come a lot of not fun stuff in 2020. But yeah, nothing, nothing too, uh, too different for me. What about you?
2: Yeah, no, much the same. I mean, obviously, I, I track net worth every month. I don't track by quarter. So I do it every month. So not a lot of changes going into Q4. I do reevaluate kind of where I am, you know, on a monthly and quarterly basis with some of my goals and habits and stuff that I established for myself. You know, I'll review those, you know, much like I do on a weekly or monthly basis and, and adjust, uh, you know, going into to Q4 here, seeing what's realistic to close out the year. You know, I, I've, I've realized that for myself that, you know, waiting to the end of the year to try to adjust or make adjustments, it just, you know, I might as well just adjust on the fly. And so what I kind of have set for myself kind of rolls, you know, on a monthly and quarterly, you know, even weekly basis. The one thing that I do look at kind of annually is more of like a theme for the year. And that is something that I'll probably start, you know, really thinking about here going into Q4, what's going to be my 2021 theme, because I'll kind of want to have that pretty well established or at least in its final stages, you know, come, come the holidays, Thanksgiving time. That way I can really make preparations to, to focus in on that going into 2021. I don't want to wait till, you know, the last week of December and and have that and then get into the first week or two of the new year and, and kind of start behind the eight ball. So that's, that's really about me. I, you know, I look at all my insurances in the fall. Uh, I reevaluate all those policies all come up, uh, for renewal around that time for the most part. So those are things that I, that I, you know, in terms of my financial life that I spend some time on in the fall and then, you know, obviously sit down and and reevaluate different things that, you know, we have in our household and like my wife and our family and stuff. But
3: that's about it. Anything else on your end? Yeah, no, it's going goals, right? I think the more thought you put into it before the year, right? I think historically I've been in bad at it where you just start thinking about it at the end of the December, right? And and you just think, okay, well, you know, what should it be? What should it be? And, and you're kind of scrambling a few years or, or a few days, right? Right before the start of the year. So I think thinking about that in advance helps a lot if you really want to take it seriously for the following year. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. It's a weird year too. You know, we got an election
2: coming up, which obviously plays into, to some factors to some degree. And, you know, I was on a call with an economist yesterday and, you know, they put together basically the presentation and it said the, the economy doesn't really change much as long as no one party has complete control of, of all three branches. So we'll see what happens, right? It's potential that that could take place and that you know, the market and other things go crazy. But if it stays, you know, one party, you know, doesn't obtain control of all three, then then things tend to, you know, at least economically tend to continue to grow on the greater scale. And the fundamentals for growth prior to the pandemic were great. And I think going forward, a lot of those fundamentals are still there. You know, granted, we're in a what near zero rate environment. So there's a lot of interesting things going on in our economy. Obviously, we keep borrowing money we don't have. And who knows when that will catch up to us. But at any rate, it's an interesting time, interesting year. And and, and we'll see how things shake out. But excited to go into Q4. And I think that'll propel us as a country and, you know, us personally in, in 2021 to have a much better year than maybe we had in 2020. So last week, we had Daniel. Current net worth is 1.6 million. He has two kids. He works in tech. He grew up in Brazil. And came to the United States in 2003, primarily invests in equities. His net worth dropped over $200,000 when Corona first first hit when we first did the interview back in April. So really interesting episode. Go check out with Daniel. That's episode 153. Today's show, we thought we'd do a little bit of something different. We've had several of you reach out and ask about all the things we've learned and all the different strategies from our millionaires and kind of compile some. So we did an uh, interview episode uh, on another podcast. It's Doc G's podcast. And we are going to play that uh, episode, some clips from that or most of it on, on this week's episode. And hopefully that will answer most of the questions we've been getting about strategies and about trends that we've seen. And we're really excited. It was actually a really, really interesting interview we did with him. Really excited to share it with y'all. I don't know if, if, if many of our listeners know of his podcast, uh, but the interview that we did and, and, and the questions that he asked us were, were phenomenal and we really dug in to some of the deep strategies and, and things that our millionaires, uh, that we've learned from our millionaires and, and that, that they've displayed on our show. Also, if you're interested in sponsoring the show, send us an email. We'd love to have you. We're looking for new sponsors here coming into the, to the Q4 here and, and into the new year. Also, if you're interested in being on the show or interested in real estate opportunities, send us an email. Once again, that's millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Without any further delay, let's get into today's episode with Jason Clark on Doc G's podcast.
1: This is Clark Sheffield. I'm Jace Mattinson, and we are going to unveil
3: millionaires on the Earn and Invest podcast.
0: $10 million. million is what my accountant said I would need in the bank to retire early. I was a mid-career physician, and I had found that the day-to-day practice of medicine was exhausting me, and I wanted a way out. And so she gave me this number, $10 million, and it was ludicrous. It was ludicrous because she didn't look at my budget, she didn't look at my passive income, It was a number that I really feel in some ways she completely pulled out of the ether. And it started me to think about goals we have for wealth. We love to come up with these great numbers. $100,000 doesn't sound like enough. A billion dollars sounds like way too much and unreachable. But there is something about a one with six zeros attached to the end. There's something about a million dollars that seems just out of reach and yet to be the perfect goal. Jace Mattinson and Clark Sheffield are the co-hosts of one of my favorite podcasts. They study the tips, the tricks, the habits. They delve into the lives of millionaires. Clark and Jace, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here.
3: Fun to be here again. We were here, when? A year ago or so, and we've had you on a couple of times, so fun to connect again.
0: Yeah, it's really great because, in a sense, it feels like a continuing conversation. So, when you have people on more than once, you get to pick up where you left off, and they end up being really rich conversations. So, I'm really happy to have you guys back again. Jace, let's start with you. How many millionaires have you guys now interviewed?
1: Yeah, Clark and I were just talking about this. So we're going to release episode number 138. And not all of those have have been millionaire interviews. We've had a few guests on in between, but most of our guests have been millionaires. And we've got about 15 to 20 that we've already recorded that we have not released yet. So we're pumping up towards about 140-ish probably total,
0: 150 pretty pretty soon here. Clark, at the beginning, didn't you guys get a little backlash where some of your fans said, hey, why don't you bring on some people who aren't quite at a million yet or some people who are aspiring to get there?
3: Yeah, and that's one idea we had, right, is is we've noticed, and I'm sure you've noticed with your podcast too, right, people connect with people who they can resonate with, whether it's career, whether it's a financial, a family situation, a life event. And so we thought, hey, why don't we try and interview people who are maybe Either on the younger side or have a net worth coming up to a million, but not quite there. And, and someone will say, "Hey, I've been in my career five years. My net worth five hundred grand, or ten years, five hundred grand, or whatever." And I can connect with this guy a little bit more. And then it allows us to track them over time, right? And so, in five, ten years, whatever it may be, they'll hit millionaire status, and then we can we can come back and track them. So we do have some interviews of people less than a million.
0: Jace, tell me a little bit about why and how you started this podcast. Why did you resonate with this idea of studying millionaires?
1: Yeah. So Clark and I, you know, we grew up with with dads that were pretty open with their finances and, and net worth and everything and how they invested. But that was the only picture that we really had was what our dads and maybe a couple of our our dad's close friends. They were a little bit open, but not nearly as open as our dads were. And as Clark and I started discussing, you know, there's a lot of great books that have been written on theory or have been written on surveys. And we thought it'd be fun to actually talk to real millionaires, dive into their portfolios. And then, you know, we're young enough that we'd be able to kind of put these on paper and track them over time to see what happens you know in the coronavirus pandemic in you know if somebody had the data from 2008 how do people's investments change how do their mindsets change how do they evolve over time and that's basically what we've what we've put together now
0: clark is there some aspect of voyeurism here i mean do we like to look under the hood so to speak and see how other people are doing it
3: oh certainly right i think everybody i mean that's why i think one point dave ramsey's been so successful right Is people come on and and say hey, here's a problem I've had, right? And I think people like that, right? I think it's the same reason social media has exploded. is people like access to people. And I mean, I think we probably do that, right? Certainly, we're getting into details of people's lives and, and things that they wouldn't otherwise share. But I think the intentional, the, the goal for us is is more to help people learn, less to point fingers in a sense, right?
0: Jace, was there some question when you guys began of what number to use, I mean, in some senses, is a $1 million what it was a decade ago? Are we still looking at that number as that kind of overall goal?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of debate around that. And obviously, we have inflation and, and change of times and change in values, house values, company values, how things are valued. So yeah, is a is $1 million still a phenomenal mark? Yes, I believe so. Is it definitely different than it used to be? Yes. $1 million back you know let's say in the 90s when i was growing up as a kid is definitely a whole lot different than now and in terms of you know looking at a million dollars i think kind of the rule of thumb back in the day was hey a million dollars will get you to a great retirement i definitely think that needle has moved for for where we are today and cost of living however we have seen a big uptick in people figuring out how to Let's call it geo arbitrage and arbitrage in some other ways to maybe make a million dollars or even less work in terms of retirement. You know, people use the the Trinity study and have 4% withdrawal out of their out of the retirement. If somebody needs 30 grand, well, they don't need quite a million dollars. They can live on less.
3: I think just going off of that, I totally agree with Chase. I think the other thing that's changed from, let's say, the 80s, 90s, right, where a million maybe was a good retirement number is now I feel like there's so many more side hustles and passive ways to earn income, at least that are discovered, right? And so I think somebody, we've had many people on the show that retire early retirement or shift to that passive income work source where they're only at a million or 1.1 or 1.2 or 1.3 right? And, and they say, look, I'm just quitting my day job. So I'm going to go from making 75 or 150 or whatever they're making. And yeah, I might make 20 or 30 or 40 by doing this or hacking that or working part-time. And I think that allows them to supplement their income. So I think that just the ability to do that and earn income easier on the side working remotely, and it'll probably shift even more now, right? With this coronavirus stuff, changes the dynamic a little bit as well. Because before it was just, I mean, you look at the higher generation. right? My dad had worked for three companies his whole life and had a 40-year career. I think we're hearing that far less often.
0: Yeah, it hits me, Clark, that a lot of people got interested in the financial independence retire early movement, but at some point, they started realizing this whole retire early thing didn't fit them. Your community, by more looking at a number really seems a little bit more varied in the sense that there are multiple different ways to get where you're trying to go. So it's not that retire early is the goal per se, but it's creating a stable financial pathway for yourself forward.
3: Yeah, and that's, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, we've had the highest millionaire we've had net worth of 100 million. And the, the I think we've had someone down to 500 or whatever, right, just to have them. But I think our average is what, Jay's two or three, right? Yep we've had a few people 15 to 20, 30, and then most of them under 10. But, but totally agree. As we were talking before this, we said, hey, what are, you know, what are 10 things that we really learned or have stood out to us from doing this? And one of them was, was what you just said, that when we say, hey, what's, what's the goal? What, what, what's happiness? What does it mean to be fulfilled? Right? Has this money, if you're worth $10 million and you reached millionaire status when you're 35 or 40 or whatever, right? and you've grown your net worth, what does that mean? Is that, has the money made you happy? right? What what was the goal? Are you fulfilled now? What is it for you? And for them, it was all flexibility. It was freedom and flexibility, time to do, and and you've said the same, right? Time to do what I want, when I want. And so nail on the head, I I think you said it there.
1: And at the end of the day, I think we use million dollar mark or just net worth. It's just a way of keeping score, right? At the end, we're all trying to get some sort of income dollar that's going to support the lifestyle we want, whether it's withdrawing from a a bucket of money in retirement investments or it's having a bunch of real estate investments that kick off enough cash flow. That passive income, that income stream, and the net worth is really just a way that these millionaires and us really look at keeping score for us internally and what's our best output and what are we trying to go in terms of getting that lifestyle, what does that lifestyle look like? You know, Clark and I put together basically a dream budget together two years ago, individually with our wives. What would that look like? Okay, what if we didn't have certain things? Then what would it look like? Okay, now what's that actual number that we would need to get there, whether it's retirement investments, combination of real estate, small business ownership or whatever, and kind of back into that. And that's one thing I think that a lot of these millionaires either do along the journey or they get to that point you know, towards the end of when they want to, quote unquote, give up the day job or retire from their their main profession.
0: Jace, you mentioned that dream budget that you guys did with your wives. When you look at millionaires in general, do they overshoot? Do they actually need all those excess millions to meet their goals?
1: I think most always overshoot. And I think part of that is just human nature that there's always the unknown risk of what might happen, right? We just went through... One of the craziest periods of volatility in the stock market still going on right now. It's hard to predict the future in terms of investments. It's hard to predict what would happen to real estate investments. So, I think just in general, all of them overshoot to some degree. You know, one question we ask, especially those that have retired early at a young age or that have had substantial years of retirement and now gone through this pandemic, how has their mindset changed with their investments? Has it changed? And for the most part, None of them are worried right now, but there's always a common theme right now, especially, and that's going back to like, what's the cost of healthcare going to be and how will that affect me 30 years, 40 years out if I'm in my 20s, 30s or 40s?
0: Yeah, healthcare continues to be a worry. I think it certainly is one of the biggest impediments for people also thinking about retiring early or at least leaving a job to do more independent work. Clark, Jace had mentioned this idea that we're a little bit over-careful, or many millionaires are a little bit over-careful, and you and I mentioned this idea that maybe retiring early is not the point, but looking for happiness. You said that there was a list of 10 or so things you guys have learned from studying millionaires. Tell me a few of those and, and why you think they're important.
3: Yeah. So I'll start with the surprising one. Jason and I were talking about this last night. The one that surprised us most is that most of the millionaires we interviewed don't pay off their home. And at, at, well, I shouldn't say don't pay off their home, right? Eventually they will, but they're not hurrying to pay off their home, right? They might have a net worth of $3 million and they'll carry their mortgage. And, and that was the most surprising to me. I think, you know, I've listened to Dave Ramsey, Jason's listened to Dave Ramsey, and, and you always hear millionaires have no debt or people, you know, get out of debt, pay off your home. And we've noticed that that's not the case. Not to say that some of our millionaires don't, of course, of course, some have, but most of them have, have been okay carrying a 2%, 3 4% mortgage and saying, hey, look, I can earn more. So that's probably been the most surprising one to us in, in that we thought, you know, you think of somebody worth 5 or $10 million and you think with a $500,000 home, right? Nothing crazy or totally lavish and you think they just pay it off. And that hasn't necessarily been the case. I, it's been very consistent when we say, what's worth the money? That's a question we often ask is, as, as you were going on your financial journey and through life, what's worth the money? And most of them have said vacations, time with family. That's been a, a very common theme. Another one, I would I would say that most of our millionaires, again, the ones that we've interviewed, hit millionaire status in their late 30s, early 40s about the average of where it's been of course we've had some that have hit it in their 20s and some that have hit it in their 50s but the average has been in the 30s and 40s so those are a few that stood out to me jace maybe you should mention we talked about this last night the lack of hsas right that's one thing i guess that's also been surprising
1: yeah and just real quick on on the on the age what we've seen is it's taken about fifteen to twenty years for millionaires to kind of get that first million. The second million has come in five or less, and the subsequent millions have, have started to kind of snowball going back to, to what we learned in school, compounded interest and how fast that continues to grow. So it's always that hardest first million to get takes the longest. The subsequent ones come much quicker after that. And and to Clark's point. You know the the HSA thing is is very interesting. I think just because one they're a little bit newer, but two they provide so many tax advantages, and a lot of people that are either savvy with their finances or, or are trying to get to a point where they have some stocked away for healthcare. Given that healthcare has been such the big unknown, and that's when a lot of millionaires have have you know paused whether they retire decided to not retire early or are looking at alternative options, I just would have thought that the HSAs would have been much more funded, you know, and, and invested because of their, their triple tax advantages. That's been one surprising point that that we just haven't seen a lot that have HSAs or a lot of HSAs that are invested.
3: Or self-directed ross. right? That stood out to me a little bit is I I think we've had a few, right, of people that have self-directed their Roth. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I just thought we'd see more of it, right, where somebody took some of their Roth money and self-directed it into a real estate investment or whatever. And we did have one guy who did it into self-storage, but it's not something that we hear of very often. And I think that's becoming more popular if, if somebody wants to invest in money outside of the market, but it's not something that we've heard a lot of.
0: Jace, it's interesting I would expect that most millionaires would be incredibly savvy and technical with their investments and their saving tools. But it sounds like when we talk about the HSAs, et cetera, these are not necessarily the most technical investors, are they?
1: Yeah, that's correct. And and Clark and I put together kind of a a rough outline of of how our millionaires are invested. And we have about 50% that have some sort of market securities let's call it you know whether it's your 401k or a Roth IRA to say all those kind of combined and real estate so they've got some passive income coming from real estate or they own investment properties and then we have about 25% that are just kind of solely your typical 401k millionaire where everything's invested in the market many of them have tried real estate one time or another whether it's hey I turned my former residence into a rental really wasn't for me, sold it, never gone back into the game. And then we have about 25% that are just all real estate, don't invest in the market at all. And so, yeah, it's it's interesting that they are very savvy with a lot of the tools out there. I think the HSAs are so new for a lot of them, given that our average age, these millionaires are in their 30, late 30s, 40s. HSAs haven't been really that popular Pri- prior to maybe the millennial generation, more or less and so they haven't had time to grow, or a lot of people just utilize them every year. You know, where we've kind of taken the the mindset that, hey, if you're young, like I am still at this point, might as well put the money in there, invest it, and I'll just pay for some of the medical out of out of pocket, save the receipts, get a get a check later if I need it, and kind of let that money accrue. Mainly because it's I'm of the mindset that, yeah, I don't know what that healthcare bill is going to be in the future. And I want to have a nice stockpile that's set aside just for healthcare.
0: Clark, Jace mentioned this idea of real estate, and I always imagined the number would be high, so it doesn't surprise me that such a large number of people you guys have interviewed are involved in real estate. But let's talk about self-employment. How many of the people you'd interviewed, how many of the millionaires are self-employed
3: versus employees? And and you count uh, somebody being all in real estate investments as well, self-employed, I guess, if they're not working yes. for somebody else. Yep. So certainly most of them, right? That 25% bucket would be doing their own thing. And then we've had a few, I can't remember, Chase, how many? Five or so small business owners. So Yeah, it's half a dozen or so. Yeah. It's a bucket that's probably underrepresented on the podcast, right? I, I would think, I mean, you read articles about millionaires and you, and you see a lot of them are small business owners. And so that's something we're trying to bring more people on. But you know we've had some like wood restoration company owner that came on, and you know random businesses that you don't really think of a, a plumber we had, some guy that did a, a busing route, right? And so to your point, I think at least the twenty five percent of the the real estate investors are all self-employed and then probably an additional five percent or so. But I think if you extrapolated the whole thing, I bet you it'd be more than that because I think we probably don't gather as many of those small business owners as we would like.
0: Jace, if you go back to the famous book, The Millionaire Next Door, Stanley and Danko painted a picture of millionaires, and many of them were living much smaller lives than we would expect, right? They weren't living high on the hog. And certainly frugality was a common theme. Are you finding that in today's millionaires? Are they living understated lives? Are they being frugal? 100%.
1: They definitely all live below their means. I can't think of one millionaire we've had on the show that outsized their income in a given year, for example. We did have one that that, you know was super into cars and he's bought a couple of sports cars, which you might think of the typical millionaire is going to go buy a bunch of sports cars. But for the most part, they're extremely frugal. They're all living below their means. They're not quite living in that McMansion-type lifestyle that, that maybe has been portrayed in the media. And I think one thing that's super interesting about that is, for the most part, a lot of them haven't done the house-flipping game where they've moved up in-house as they've made more money. You know, they've, they've maybe done it once or twice, but they haven't done it every single you know, massive increase in their 30s and 40s to the point that they're buying a new house constantly.
3: And let me just add off of that because I, I, I totally agree that's true, right? I think that's the trend we see, but we've also seen those that are spenders, right? And buy the nice cars and the guy that goes to Vegas and walks out of the casino and says, hey, I bought a Rolex, right? Because I wanted one and I just don't care. I'm worth you know $3 million and I want a nice watch. So there's there's been some of that, the fun purchases or that I've always wanted this or second homes or third homes, right? So it's not fair to say all of them are, are millionaire next doors, but certainly I think Jace is right. The majority the majority are and, and to an extreme sometimes, right? I mean, you have a guy worth $4 million who's living in a $250,000 house. I mean, this was just a few episodes ago and he took his, his stuff to his accountant to do his tax returns and he's like, my accountant almost fell over. He said, "What? Like, you've got to be making the most money out of anybody in that neighborhood, right? I, ha- I had no idea. And so sometimes it's it's on the other end, but there are those that are that are spenders.
0: Jace, are you finding that people's habits change as they accrue more money, or is this person worth fifty million dollars still living cutting coupons and playing it close?
1: You know, it's funny, it's funny you ask that. We have found that for the most part, habits have been pretty ingrained. And it is very hard for a lot of these millionaires to Quote unquote, flip the switch. So let's just say they've, you know, these habits that have got them to that point in their 40s and 50s, it's very hard for them to then turn into that spender. Clark brings up a couple of these people that have made these purchases. You know, the guy that bought the watch right outside of Vegas Casino, he just won a bunch of money. He's like, well, what the heck? Might as well just blow it on a watch. I've always wanted one. You know, and he, he goes into this story and it's kind of funny listening to him to talk about it, but it's very hard for a lot of these millionaires to, to flip that switch from, quote-unquote saver investor to spender. Now, a lot of them have loosened up over time, I think, as their confidence levels have risen, as their wealth has risen. But it's not like they've gone from, hey, I'm living on, let's just call it $80,000 a year, to now I'm going to just double or triple my lifestyle because I'm making 5x what I used to make.
3: One specific story that comes to mind uh, was a guy, I just looked it up, episode 122. There's a guy, 59 years old, Doug Nordman. You've probably heard of him. He has a net worth of what, over a million, I think, well over a million, but we have him just at a million. But he, he talked to us about flying first class. And when he goes on vacation, he's like, that's something I never did, right? I never, I never would let myself do that. And, and Jace asked him, look, man, was it hard to flip that switch? Right? Like at, at what point do you say, All right, I'm gonna buy a three hundred and fifty dollar plane ticket, but now it's gonna be eight hundred or a thousand or whatever it is, right? To fly first or business. Especially if you're going overseas, right? He's like, Look, if I go on a vacation to Europe, I'm flying first class. It's like, Well, that's a two thousand dollar ticket. And and when did you flip that switch and, and how did you do it? And Jace, what did he say? I mean, I think it was just look, I just thought it was worth it to me. And I came to a certain point financially where I said, look, I'm going to spend some of this money. But I think the point is most of our millionaires haven't really been able to do that. I think it's hard, right? I think we all say, hey, when I reach this point or get to this level or hit this income or reach this net worth, I'm going to spend, I'm going to save, I'm going to buy this, I'm going to buy that. But you still have the pain points. You still have the pain points of spending the money, even if you can look in your account and see a bunch of money. So he's one of the few that said, yeah, it wasn't that hard to to change it, right? I could I could start spending. Most aren't that way.
1: Yeah, and in his case, part of the reason why he he did that is he said, "Look, I'm I'm a little older. It's a little harder for me to get in those smaller seats. I'm a bigger guy, and I just you know I'm willing to pay the extra money to be a little more comfortable."
3: Yeah, I remember back problems, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, and there's a, there's another guy that that owns a software business. He's actually probably one of our higher net worth guys, and he had done the same thing that you know, he's like, look, I flew first class like three years ago, you know, at the time he had already been worth like 5 million. He's like, and I just could never go back at this point. He's like, and I don't travel that often. So the three or four times I travel a year, I want to fly in first class, have a comfortable ride. And it's funny that Clark brings the first class flying first class up because we've had a handful of these millionaires that said that that's the one luxury item that, that they've said is worth the money for them to spend on now is to fly first class.
0: Clark, you ever have any of the millionaires talk about their losses or big losses or falls from grace? You ever have someone who comes on who dipped below a million for a while or saw their wealth decline? Yeah, so the biggest
3: ones that come to mind right are the 2008 real estate investors. So those that are the 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 bucket of the 25% that only invest in real estate, right? And have lost it. So recently I think we've had two or three that lost it all in 2008. I think I don't think any of them have filed for bankruptcy personally, but several that have lost it and then rebuilt it. But I remember an early episode we did where the guy was like, look, I'm going to lose $200,000 at lunchtime, right? When the market, had, you know, those 7% days, right? We had with the coronavirus days where you hit the breaker. I mean, that's a lot of money for somebody that has $4 million in the market. But most of them... I would think to your question that would bother people more often I would have thought to the sense that they'd be stressed out or worried about it and and most of them just brush it off it's not to say they don't notice or they don't look at it or they don't care right of course they do but it's it's not a concern i think they have a longer term approach right and they say okay it's it'll come back up and most of them most of our millionaires are invested if they're in the market or in index funds vtsax obviously the most popular but I think the approach is, yeah, it's going to dip down. I'm going to lose some money. But over time, it'll come back up.
1: Yeah, we had one millionaire that he said, you know, I, I look every day when it's going up and I just don't look when it's going down. And I think <laughs> several of them have kind of taken that approach. You know, and I, as we were discussing this and your question came up, we did have a millionaire. Actually, it was a former millionaire that had made a bunch of money selling a tech company and then took all that money and invested into another company and lost it all. I think that was episode six or seven. So we did get in a couple of these falls from grace, if you want to call it that, or you know. But the most most of our millionaires have taken more of a, a long, steady approach in terms of building their wealth versus hitting it big with one company and then you know draining the bank account to start another company, or or whether it be real estate investments or or not. You know, like Clark mentioned, we had a ton that in real estate that lost everything or most everything in 2008 and had her kind of rebuild from there.
0: Clark, we talk about millionaires as if they're a homogenous group, but are you guys noticing differences between, let's say, male and female millionaires or generational differences between baby boomers, Gen Xers, and millennials? Are there big differences there?
3: I haven't, Jace, I mean, Jace might have a different take here, so jump in, Jace, but I haven't noticed a significant mindset shift between male and female. Of the females we've had, I, I feel like it's intentionality and purposeful and aware and intentional with their savings, right? And, and their learning and their desire to educate themselves. So I haven't noticed a difference in terms of gender. The only place that I can say I've really noticed a different is net worth levels, so, when you get over, not you, when anybody gets over five or so, that's when I've started noticing a, a mindset change. And so, at, and, and maybe it's seven, right, or something, but of the people that we've interviewed that are over five, six, or seven, the goal setting really kicks in. The intentionality really kicks in. They probably work more. They're probably more purposeful. They're probably more driven on side income. And not to say that you're not purposeful when you have a million dollars, right? Not at all taking away from anybody, but when you get over seven or so, the people that we've had that are 10, 15, 30, 45, 100, right? Talking to them, it's a totally different, it's a totally different mindset. And I don't know that it's good or bad, right? Because there's plenty of people that we've had on that are worth two million and they say, it's plenty enough for me. I'm going to live a lavish life. This is what I want. And I, I couldn't be more happier and I don't want the five million. Then you have a guy on who's worth 10 and he says, I have a goal to be worth a hundred. That's what I want to do is be worth a hundred million. So that's, that's the biggest difference I've noticed is kind of that six or seven million, five million mark where once they cross that threshold, I think they're just more driven, more intentional goal setting becomes a bigger piece. And, and oftentimes I wouldn't say it's the case for you, right? But oftentimes they're determined to make more and, and earn more and kind of increase their millionaire status to a certain point.
0: Jace, that sounds kind of counterintuitive, doesn't it? Because what we're saying is that as their net worth goes up, as they hit the seven to 10 million range, they get more intentional. They think more about making more money. And yet, on the other hand, we said a lot of times they don't even change their lifestyle. So here they are making all this extra money, besides maybe paying for a few extra first class plane tickets. Their net worth is skyrocketing up, and yet their spending is staying the same. Does that make any sense to you, Jays?
1: It's it's interesting to think about it that way. But let's just let's just do the example of of one of the one of the millionaires we've had on. He's worth a hundred million, and and luckily I happen to to know him a little bit more personally, so I kind of know a little bit more about his situation. But and I can kind of paint a picture for everybody. So he never really had that goal to get there, right? Like until. All of a sudden his businesses were starting to kick off enough cash that hey, this actually might be reachable. So then he kicked it in gear and he's just wired that way. He is wired to drive, 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 drive. And so now he'll say, Hey, look, at this point in my life, I've got these businesses, they're doing well. I've got a lot of people that work for me. I want to bring up all of them and I want to give away a hundred million dollars. So now and that's what he's driven by is to give away a hundred million dollars on his way to probably reach a net worth, I would imagine in the 250 to 500 range, because to do that, he's probably going to need to get to that point to have enough cash flow to kick off to, you know, give away a hundred million. So it's, it's interesting that yes, their lifestyle is not going to change. He's not going to go live, you know, this crazy extra, you know, buy 25 different homes all over the country or whatever else you might think, you know, he's definitely going to, to, Increase his lifestyle, but he lived in a house much like Warren Buffett. He bought for I think five or $600,000 until like two years ago. So keep in mind, this guy's worth almost a hundred million dollars. Let's call it 85, 90. He's living in a five hundred, six $600,000 house that he had bought when he was probably worth eight to 10 million. And it wasn't until last year that he scaled up and bought a house that was a couple million dollars, but still a drop in the bucket relative to his net worth. You know, and as this pandemic unra- unraveled, he cut back significantly in his spending and expenses. Sold off one of his other properties that he had to try to peel down, and and really didn't change his lifestyle that drastically. But sold a bunch of bunch of things off that were costing him in his mind, un, you know, unnecessary dollars.
3: And I think for him, and for many of the others, again, not all, right, but for many of the others that crossed that five, six, seven million dollar threshold they start to view it as a game. It starts to be a challenge of, hey, I want to dabble in this, or I'm going to try this, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to open a business, or I'm going to see if I can, you know, have a certain amount of employees or do this or that. And I think under five, I don't hear at least that attitude as much or that thought process as much. It's more of, hey, how much do I need, right? What's the 4% withdrawal rule or when can I retire early or what's financial independence mean or how much do I spend a year, right? Right. That's more of the questions and the mindset we hear under the $5 million. Over the $5 million, it's it's more of a game, in a sense, of, of where can I get to.
0: Jace, do you find that the amount of wealth correlates with happiness? When you look at the millionaires that you guys have interviewed, are the people on the top level of wealth more happy or seem more contented than the people who are on the lower rungs of the ladder?
1: No, and I think given, given the, the, the question, the happiness, we always ask about that. And Clark brought it up earlier that most of them value vacations, time with family, and, and all of them will admit some of them have not always had, you know, their time hasn't always been blocked that way, right? Sometimes they've, you know, depending on the phase of life. But at the end of the day, that's what most have said that they value the most. It's not buying more expensive clothes or not buying more expensive cars or that kind of thing. The one thing that is interesting, you know, related to the, the happiness levels, is a lot of them have said that as they've built wealth, it hasn't necessarily changed their happiness levels because they're they're on this journey and they're happy on at the beginning of the journey and they're happy at the end. The one thing that has changed a lot, though, is is their confidence levels and their their level of hey, you know what, I, we can buy that extra thing. They're just a lot less stressed uh, to some degree about hey, if I spend $5 here, $20 here, I lost, like Clark mentioned earlier, $200,000 in the market one day at lunchtime. They're not as stressed because it doesn't change their lifestyle drastically or even at all. If they lose that kind of money or spend that kind of money, call it stupid tax or something.
0: Clark, I'm going to ask you about your personal lives in a moment, but I want to sum up this conversation. If Someone is listening to the millionaires unveiled they are a wannabe millionaire. They're working their way up. Is there a secret sauce? Is there a specific piece of advice? Is there a main thing you think they'll glean from hearing these interviews with millionaires?
3: So I wouldn't say there's a secret sauce. I think everybody wants something sexy, right? That says, if you do this, you'll become a millionaire. And I think we've just found, Jay says, there's no one way to skin a cat, right? Everybody does it differently. I think the commonalities they all have, though, is, is they're aware and they're intentional. Everybody's intentional about what they're doing. If you're going to put money into your 401k, your HSA or Roth, a 529 for your kids, if you're going to pay down your mortgage early, whatever you want to do, invest on the sideline in small business or real estate, you have to be intentional, right? How could you do it without being intentional? And so that's number one. And number two, I think that we've noticed is to be intentional, everybody learns, they're trying to. They're trying to educate themselves. They're listening to podcasts. They're reading books. They're reading websites. They're talking to people. I mean, there's there's nobody that we've interviewed, and it, uh, it's obvious, right? When you really think about it, that just oh, I don't. You know, I, I can remember one lady that said, "Look, I don't know how it happened. I'm worth five million dollars. I don't know how it happened. I put it in the bank account, and it just grew." Right? I mean, she literally said that. I, I don't know how it happened. I, I looked back ten years later, and, and it was there. But to that point, I would say she was very intentional about spending less than she made. She was very intentional about saving. She was very intentional about putting it in the bank and she did invest the money. So it's not like she was just sitting on cash. And so that's the first point. If somebody wants to be a millionaire, I mean, you're, you're gonna resonate with somebody, right? That you hear, whether it's you know in any background or how you wanna be or the certain amount you wanna get to. But the first step is you gotta learn these things, right? And if you're listening to this show, that's step one. Of course, you're doing that. You're being intentional, and so that'd be, I guess, the secret sauce, if you want to call it. And Jace, feel free to add if, if I've missed. If you think anything, I'll just add
1: that in, in addition to being intentional, you know, this isn't something like Clark mentioned that that they just wake up and it just happens. I mean, they've they have crafted a plan. Most track it, you know, whether it be annually or monthly. You know, they track their spending. The one thing I will mention that, that's been surprising is there's not as many millionaires as I thought that would be quote unquote budgeters and that would put together a, a budget. You know, most of them are very aware of their spending, but a lot of them have said, hey, look, I, I don't have time to sit there and cry over a nickel spent in this category versus $5 in this category. So that would be one thing I would, I would say that you know, maybe on the contrary to being the secret sauces budgeting works for you do it if it doesn't hey you're in great great company there's a lot of millionaires that do not budget but they are very very aware of their spending habits and they're very very aware of the trajectory of their net worth and what they need to do to kind of get there and what kind of investment philosophies that resonate best with them and they go all in on those investment philosophies
0: like, let's talk a little bit about your personal financial life. You now have had a front row seat to hearing the secrets of some of the wealthiest people in America and in the world. How have your own financial habits changed? How have you been affected by making the show?
3: Yeah, so number one, i've I've placed way more value now on HSAs, right? that's a, That's a simple answer. I, I just I see that more than I did. Right, I mean, we just interviewed somebody this week that had what, Jason, 140,000, I believe, in her HSA, and she's in her mid 40s, and so that's incredible when you start thinking about some of the benefits that an HSA can be. And she's a single mom, right? So she hasn't had help from her from a spouse that's been able to contribute as well. So, which is remarkable. Number two is whether we like it or not, most of our wealthiest guests have investments in real estate. That's just how it is. And and most of our millionaires do, 50, or at least 50, 75%, right? If you count the 50% that dabble in both and 25% that are just in real estate, that's 75% of the millionaires we've interviewed are invested somewhat in real estate. And so I didn't grow up with real estate. I, my, my dad has one rental property now, but I didn't grow up seeing that. I didn't really know that. I wasn't exposed to that. And so that's something that I've, I've taken away is that's some, and that's something that's easier to, to get into, I think, than people think, right? And there's so many ways. You think about real estate, you think about, okay, I could buy another house and rent out my primary residence, or I could just rent out the basement, or I could get an Airbnb, or I could invest in a syndication, or I could buy some land, or I could buy a mobile home park, right? I mean, you start thinking about, okay, how can I invest in real estate? There's a million ways, but that's one big takeaway I've taken is how many of these millionaires and how many of the millionaires that have the highest net worse have invested in real estate.
0: Jace, has your life changed or your habits because of the show and what you've learned? Totally. I think, you know, when we got
1: involved in this show, I had, you know, I'd been investing in the market since I was a teenager, mainly with, with my paper route money and my lawn care money that I'd been earning back in the day. And to this day, I, I that's just ingrained. That'll never change. I've had a Roth IRA for twenty some years, and I could probably never contribute to that again. And it'll be fine and ride off into the sunset and have that money, you know, for retirement. Clark mentions real estate. You know, I I also didn't grow up with a lot of real estate in the family, and that's something that's changed in, in terms of my mindset and investing more in real estate. I think the biggest shift is is really I've been able to hone in like Clark mentioned, all these millionaires do it differently. And I, I always say there's no way to skin, the, you know, there's a million ways to skin the cat. My personal philosophy has evolved in the sense that I kind of look at my investments in three separate categories. And I try to kind of attribute my wealth building in those three separate categories. One is invested in marketable securities such as, you know, retirement accounts, Roth IRA, HSA that are invested in, in publicly traded companies. Another third of it's, in in real estate. And then the other third of it's in in businesses that I have control or have some ownership in uh, that are private companies. And so as much as I can, I try to allocate uh, my investments such on that scale. One, because two of them provide income today and in the future. And the other one is much more in in line for hate. You know if I screw everything up in these other two buckets, I at least know that I've got a third socked away that will provide for a retirement that I, I can, you know, be happy on, live on, my wife's happy with.
0: Clark, has the current coronavirus pandemic and the recession changed the outlook of millionaires today?
3: Not so much. Not so much. I mean, people have lost money significantly, right? I mean, we've talked to people that have lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, we're recording this mid-June now, so the markets come back. The S and is only down eight percent or something from the high, and it got up to four or five. But it hasn't necessarily. The one, I guess, the one thing we will say is we've asked a few people is, "Hey, with the stock market where it was," and these were interviews we were doing at the end of March, right? The the low is March twenty-third, I believe, at least for for the major indices. But we said, "Hey, with the markets where they are." And these are real estate investors, mind you, that didn't have anything in the market. we said, with the markets where they are, does it now tempt you to get into the market? Or does your behavior change because of where the market is? And I remember one of them said, no, right? I'm just not a market investor. But several of them said, yeah, it's low enough now that I might dabble in it. And so the millionaires that have had cash on the sideline that we've spoken to about coronavirus and the market being lower, they've taken an opportunity, not all of them, but. Several of them that we've talked to have taken an opportunity to invest more money. But as far as long-term projection and thoughts about where I'm going to be, we haven't met anybody, or at least that's told us, that's that's panicking and selling and nervous about the future.
0: Jace, you had mentioned before, I believe, that there were less millionaires than you thought. Is a million dollars still a lot of money?
1: Yeah, it's still a lot of money. <laughs> I can attest. A million dollars is still a lot of money. Seven figures will get anybody's attention. It's, it's, I think it'll always be a lot of money, at least in our lifetime. We have a lot of millionaires that come on the show that, hey, I can live a great life on $40,000, which is basically withdrawing 4% of their million dollar portfolio. And, and we've had probably at least a half dozen that have retired around that mark or just below that mark or just above that mark uh, and, are, and are super satisfied. So yes, it's still a lot of money.
0: Clark, you're not going to be changing the name of the show to 10 Millionaires done, Unveiled" or anything <laughs> like that. You're you feel pretty confident that "Millionaires Unveiled" will stick.
3: Yeah, and it's good because then when the, when inflation happens and a million is not as much, it just gets us unlimited guests on the show, right?
0: Ah, you just I didn't keep think having about people that. to interview. Yeah. Um, not like we're ever going to run out. But all right, well, "Millionaires Unveiled" is aptly named because a million dollars is still a lot of money. Thank you guys for coming on the show. Hey, thanks, thanks for, for having us. us.